Welcome back. It's Jacqueline. And Alana. You're back for another episode of Black and Yellow. And beep, beep, beep. Little trigger warning here. We are going to be talking about a new episode in theaters that is going to dominate the entirety of this episode. So if you haven't seen the film we're talking about and you don't want anything spoiled for you, I highly suggest you skip right on over this episode (laughs) and maybe catch up on some some past episodes because our RSS feed is back and it's kicking so much butt. So if you are out of the loop of shows we have done, this is a great opportunity to catch up, maybe binge a little. And with that, Mm -hmm. let's get on with the show. Awesome. Well, good to have you guys back. Um, We're going to be talking about The Farewell, directed by Lulu Wong, starring Aquafina. And uh, if you haven't uh, watched it, go watch it and then come back to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Because it'll be here for you and available. Um, Yeah, so a quick little synopsis about the story. Um... It follows Lulu. It follows Aquafina, um, and she is has immigrated from China to New York from a young girl, but has grown up um, very Americanized, very Westernized in New York. And um, she finds out that her grandma has stage four lung cancer. However, in Chinese culture, Eastern culture, um, there's this belief that you don't tell um, your loved one or your elderly um, that they're sick because it's the belief of knowing that they're sick that actually kills them and not the disease or illness. So there is this whole lie being built up around her stage four lung cancer. Um, and there's this whole fake wedding put on so the whole family could go back and see the grandma. And we follow Aquafina as she struggles with her Western and American uh, values and traditions. Um, she has to lie to her grandma straight to her face. So... Yes, exactly. So in the film, Aquafina's character's name is Billy. And yeah, today we're going to be talking about uh, some of the themes that are covered in the film. Uh, This is one of those films that as a Westerner, as a non-immigrant, I found myself as an outsider looking in going, oh, okay, that's why that is, or, oh, okay, I never knew that. And I also found myself walking away from the film looking at my own family structure differently, mm. which I think is a a huge success and um, uh, a huge success and I would say a highlight for me of this amazing film that Lulu Wang has done. The idea that at its core, it's a movie that is about cultural differences on its face. And essentially it's about how one family can create unique experiences, even though they're in three different countries, those three different countries being China, Japan, and the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, And before this was a film, this was actually featured, this particular story was actually featured on a 2016 episode of This American Life. And the episode was called In Defense of Ignorance. So Mm. there were actually seeds of this story before the movie ever became a thing, which I learned researching for this completely. And I thought that was interesting. And unfortunately, I have not listened to that episode of This American Life. But I have a feeling after this recording uh, and throughout my day, I'll probably check it out just because, you know, I'm curious. Yeah, absolutely. Uh... (laughs) Absolutely. 
so fun little fact, a little fun little fact insert here. I, as you guys know, and if you don't know, um, Alana and I are both actors um, as well as a bunch of other things. Um, but I did audition for this film. I actually auditioned for the role of Billy um, a year and a half ago. Um, and I'm more than happy to see Aquafina um take it on and just she did an amazing job i thought um just really grounded very real nothing was too forced um i was really happy with um her performance overall um yeah she definitely tore it up and i never really thought of aquafina as a leading lady in that respect until seeing this movie yeah it was interesting and i think she did a fantastic job yeah because i mean i think personally she's feels more of like a personality like she is that like person yeah. you know who mm-hmm. that role she comes in she says those punchlines she's funny and like she was hilarious in the movie like I almost could see her trying not to be funny it's like trying hard not to be funny because <laughs> she just exudes that so well yeah it's interesting how humor is utilized especially by Billy's character in this film because and we'll get to it as this episode goes on but um on its face, I definitely felt like humor was almost utilized in by her character as her more American uh, ego defense mechanism. Yeah, if that makes any sense. Uh, and it was it made me think about a it made me think about a phrase that one of my aunts would say all the time growing up, which was humor is its own excuse. Mm. If anyway, if that rings a bell for anyone, meaning that like people utilize humor. In for various reasons and in different ways, and the reason that humor is utilized uh, is more of a self-fulfilling, self-serving reason, I see. as opposed to a uh, overall beneficial to a situation kind of reason. I see. Yeah, definitely if more that makes of any sense. like I feel it's her reaction to the situation slash or internalizing and. Taking things personal in a way and then seeing how the ego and the personality sort of has a reaction to a certain situation. Like with that scene where she's going up the stairs and the elevator is broken. And yeah. that, that Chinese boy just wouldn't stop asking her, you know, why is, is America better? Is China better? Um, and we'll get into that as well because it's very, it's, it's not political, um, but in a way it, it can be um, in the sense of, you know, China versus America, which is, I mean, talk about the hot topic. Um, <laughs> yeah. So How timely. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, let's just go ahead and then get into it. Um, <laughs> since it seems like we're kind of already doing it. Let's, let's, let's tackle this first theme of like straddling cultures. Because you're <sighs> right. Billy is both a Chinese immigrant and an American citizen. And what would you, would that be called a second culture kid or a third culture kid? Um, I would definitely say first cult, like first generation, because her, her parents, she wasn't necessarily born in America. Um, so I'm not so sure she could really even be considered first generation, but in the sense of like her ideals and her values and her morals are way more westernized because she grew up in America. Right, and you could definitely feel the uh, the 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 duality of that. You could feel the two worlds conflicting, and you could feel Billy trying to figure out how to navigate, I guess, both of those um, 
land uh, landmines, it feels like, at certain mm-hmm. points in the film. And I do wonder, you know, when you are in a situation like Billy's or larger Lulu Wang's, how does a Chinese immigrant or an Asian immigrant, how do you um, prioritize? Differentiate? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, prioritize, differentiate. How do you decide which uh, cultural philosophy you sort of go with in life or which cultural philosophies ring true in certain situations as an outsider looking in and only really only having one culture. I've never had to navigate that. I've never had to. Yeah. I've never had to do that straddle and I've always wondered what it was like. And I think Wang did an amazing job of, of uh, depicting it. But what are your thoughts? Because you understand that way more than I do. Yeah, definitely. I've related so well with this, movie and the story right from the get-go uh if any of you guys have listened to our asian american identity crisis episode i really talk about what it's like to be an asian american and being in that exact situation that billy aquafina finds herself in and then on top of it you have an overarching uh influence from your parents which is where a lot of that comes from um yeah, it, it it's difficult. I think you kind of I can only speak for myself, but um I I have found times where I can devote myself to my parents and the elders when I know the time is there and when I'm 100% here and I'm ready and like available to give. Um but if if I if I'm being pulled by something else that could be more American, maybe something as simple as you know, um, hanging out with a group of friends, and then having to visit my mom in the evening or something like that. Like I just, it's difficult. Like I don't know how much you you just almost have to like find it as you're living, right? Um, yeah, like choosing to speak Mandarin with my grandma instead of. Like, choosing to struggle. And you see her in the movie do this. Like, she's, like, literally struggling um, to speak Mandarin because her Mandarin isn't that good. And she talks about it. And she's really good about just being, like, what does that mean? What does this mean? You know? So, like, in my case, I've had to choose and, like, I've chosen to speak Mandarin and struggle to speak Mandarin because I know it's the right thing to do versus speak English with, you know, my grandma who probably won't wouldn't understand a drop of it. Got it. Um, yeah. Billy does make mention of the fact that her Mandarin isn't that great more to, a lot of times in the film. But what's interesting is that Lulu Wang did not tell a fish out of water story, so to speak. Like we get that Billy's Mandarin is rusty, mm-hmm. but it's never so bad that it becomes a, a focal point of a scene. I guess... Um, when I hear someone say, oh, my, you know, my French, my Mandarin, my, my Spanish isn't that good. I'm expecting for these people to totally struggle and it's super choppy, mm. which would then feel kind of like a fish out of water. OK, Billy's is sort of like struggling her way through. But in reality, like other than a couple of, I guess, colloquialisms or slangs that Billy's not super familiar with, her Mandarin is great and gets us through a lot of the scenes in the films and it I appreciate that Wang did this because I think had she made Billy constantly struggling with her Mandarin it would have taken away from some of the levity of some of the scenes because the point isn't her rusty Mandarin the point is is trying to straddle 
cultures, but also trying to navigate family uh, landmines and family expectations and cultural expectations. And I think that that's part of the brilliance of the film, that that sort of struggle is something that's common to a lot of people across cultural lines, not just Chinese culture, not just an Asian culture as a whole, but that's completely universal. When there's tragedy happening in a family, when something is going down and the family sort of gets together, everyone sort of feels like they're figuring each other out because, at least in this movie, no one lives together. You know what I mean? Like, the family spans three different countries. And so yeah. you do get the feeling overall that these people have been separated for so long. Everyone's trying to figure everyone else out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think there's a really good scene about the older brother, the elder brother being in Japan for a while and yeah. the other the other brother being in America for a while, which is uh Billy's dad. Um and then they're and then they kind of, you know, left their mom in China is that feeling and I think it's it's again that eastern um you know, values coming in where, you know, they feel guilty because you're you're not supposed to leave your parents. You know, your your parents birthed you and took care of you and therefore it is your duty and your responsibility as you get older to take care of them. And taking care of them does not mean sticking them in a home. You know, taking care of them means being with them and having them live with you or you go live with them together under the same roof. <laughs> and I think that that is a difference between East and West. Huge. 100%. Yeah. You guys don't, like, you don't have that feeling of needing to take care of your parents in the sense of literally being physically next to them, you know? Yes, because I think, yes, um... And I think like that because and I think that because we live in an individualistic society here in the United States, whereas I think which depicted perfectly in this film in other parts of the world, a collectivism mindset is yeah. a lot more of a thing than yeah. it is here. Because mm -hmm. you say because you said your parent moves in with you and my the, the hair on the back of my neck, my neck. <laughs> Where, like, listen, I'm not going to ever stick my parents in a home, but I don't, my parents living under the same roof as me at this point in my life or later is is just not, uh, it's not Gucci for me, man. Like, like, that's not something that I think will ever happen for me. But, hey, again, it's the brilliance of this film. Yeah, absolutely. And see, and then, again, that's, you know, me as a first-generation born here in America, those are things I straddle with because, girl, I completely get you. Having having your mom or my mom or anyone's mothers, Lord, no, we, we love our mothers, but also mm -hmm. sometimes you just, you know, you know what I mean. Yes, <laughs> and, I got it. And I get it. I'm like, you know, I, I totally understand how wonderful it would be to not have your mother with you. You know, and then there is that whole feeling of like, well, shoot, um, I I should. And it's my responsibility. And then the guilt and the shame. And yeah, it's just you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> we'll circle back to the individualistic yeah. versus collectivism, cultural mindsets a little bit later. But to get back to come back to the straddling of of cultures for a second. One thing that I. As an outsider looking in, I guess I've always assumed is that if someone immigrates here to the United States from uh, wh whatever country they are coming from, 
I always assume that there's a choice that parents have to make for their kids. And that is the choice to 100% assimilate, be as American as you can, fit in because you don't want to feel like an outsider. Or you have the choice to um, keep raising your kids with the with homeland values, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it feels Am I wrong that that is a choice that a lot of immigrants have to make or is it not as black or white as I'm making it seem? You mean, can you repeat that? That immigrants, what did you have? What did you say? So I am assuming that when an immigrant moves to the United States, there's a choice that parents make. That is the choice to completely try and assimilate their kids 100 percent as much as possible, make them as American as possible. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Or the choice to continue to maintain the homeland hometown values that they have continue to instill those in their children and you sort of saw that duality in the movie and I just wonder if if that's the truth for immigrants across the board is it a black or white choice that has to be made or is it there a lot or is there a lot of gray within that I think there's a little bit of both i've spoken to a lot of kids of immigrants and uh a lot of them said hey my my dad or my mom really wanted us to assimilate so you know i don't speak my mother tongue or i mean i don't speak the you know my my parents um hometown language which then they think back like you know, well, that sucks. I really, I, I, I could have had the opportunity to speak Spanish or Mandarin, but now I don't. You know, so mm, I've, I've, I've heard yeah. those. Um, I've heard those that have said, you know, my mom made a conscious effort to help me speak Mandarin, and growing up, it was difficult because, you know, people would make fun of me, or I was forced to, you know, speak a certain language at home, even though I didn't want to. Um, and then, but then now they're grateful. So I think, right. I think there is a lot of gray. I think regardless, there there is some struggle um, that goes in between all of it because you are feeling sort of um, very... If you are forced to speak the language and all your friends are speaking English and having a great time, then you do feel, uh, you know, somewhat left out maybe. Um, but then I also think, like, what a gift it is to be able to speak another language because I do, and um, I would really want my kids to, to learn that. So, But I also haven't immigrated to a different country and don't know what it's like to raise a child and see them struggle, possibly, because of the language barrier. Oof, which I'm yeah. sure is a very <laughs> painful thing to see. Right, and a lo- a- let alone, you know, y- you have to think about the perspective of the parent because I also think, like, in the movie, Billy's dad, you know, feels he there's that oh my god, that dinner table scene. Oh, I week. knew you were going there. <laughs> oh, I know. And this is uh-huh. perfect. We're like going into our like theme number two, um, of, you know, sort of very America versus China situation. Um that, you know, her fa- the father of Billy says, We're American. And his brother, his older brother says, No matter what no matter what language you speak, no matter what color of our skin, no matter what passport we have or something, I'm paraphrasing, sorry. No, uh, no, you're good. We'll always be Chinese. And it was that, that table was so tense. I felt like I was sitting there with them. Same. Same. I was like, I was holding Same. my breath. I was like, my eyes were big and I was holding my breath and I was like, please, someone do something. I can't handle it. Which I think is brilliant, which, again, I think it's part of the brilliance of Wang's directorial skills. Like, that tension was not manufactured. Because I, I, 
found myself sitting there going, oh, my God, (laughs) where, where do we go from here? Because I saw both sides of that argument. And, you know, I think I I saw both sides of the argument and I think I'm going to assume that's a very common. um, Oh, yeah. Intersection to be at the intersection of the 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 place that I am from versus the place that I live. And because I've lived at that place for so long, I have these values instilled in me. And so, yes, I feel very American. However, aesthetically, yes, you might not look the way that someone thinks an American looks. Do you know what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And how absolutely. do you and how do you marry those two uh, worlds? Yeah. No. Definitely. I knew exactly where you were going with this. I think you did such a great job of laying it out. Honestly. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Because I just imagine, you know, if I'm immigrating, let's say all of a sudden I immigrate to like Italy, and I don't speak Italian. You know, I'm doing my best to speak Italian. Of course, I'm going to want my child to speak Italian. And I might be focusing so much on the Italian that I forget my English or my Mandarin, you know, on top of that. Um, God, what a tricky, tricky thing to to get caught up in. Yeah. Just again, like navigating those waters are super difficult. And then, you know, with the overarching culture um, intensity and cultural ties to your ancestors and your history and your duties as a child, as a parent, it all becomes really heavy on the shoulders. Um, and I think, I mean, let's talk about the acting. The acting was, first of all, brilliant. Just a little, yeah. a little, a little side, a d- side note here. The acting was amazing. <laughs> um, the grandma is actually Lulu Wang's um, real life great aunt, if I'm not mistaken, or just aunt. Um, anyway, she's never acted before and she's amazing. <laughs> Just just purely amazing. I was so impressed with her acting skills as an old Chinese grandma. Um, yeah, it's funny how that happens sometimes. I do right? think that sometimes some of the best actors are not the are, are not classically trained. I hate I to like go on record and say that because I'm sure there are other actors listening to this that are like, what? No class? Blasphemy. But I I I I'm, I, I think that when actors go to acting class sometimes a little bit of their unique essence and uniqueness is filtered out in hopes of becoming an actor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And I didn't know that she had never acted before. Yeah. I I think had I never known that, I still... Her performance was flawless, and it was flawless because she was just being in the moment. Which is acting. (laughs) Which is totally acting, which, funny enough, sometimes you go to acting class and you learn how to not be in the moment. Right, isn't that ironic? Weirdly enough, exactly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that was an interesting moment at the dinner table because I imagine there's a lot of immigrants that have those moments. Definitely. American or, you know, insert uh, whatever uh, nationality here. Or right. am I the, the the place where I came from? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then to be perfectly honest, this whole phenomenon of, you know, I, I understand that the American education literally is by far the best education, according to how many um people we get from out of the country that want to study here. I'm not just talking Mm -hmm. about Chinese. I'm talking about, you know, internationally. Everyone wants to come and get a college education, an American education here in the United States. And that dinner scene, you know, became really intense when um, Billy's mother, who was fantastic, uh, you know, kept saying, 
well, to one of her, I think it was one of her um, sister, to her sister-in-law, I believe, who said, you know, well, you're going to send your kid from China to study in America, and therefore, isn't he going to become somewhat American in, in, in those years? Right. A- and then what? And then are you going to leave him there? If he, if he wants to stay in America, you, you can't force him to come back to China. So then what? You know, like, mm-hmm. it was just, it tackled such a a niche but also not niche because we have so many people on visas here going to Harvard and Columbia and Stanford and Princeton and it's all from China most of them not most of them mm-hmm. let me let me retract my phrase that's a very general blank statement but a lot of them um typically known um to come to America and study and then go back to China I mean, is it common that the value of an American education in 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 terms of this conversation, Chinese culture, but t- bringing it more broadly uh, in Asian culture, is is the value of an American education often debated in those circles? Because uh, in the movie, it made it feel like it was, but I wasn't sure if I was yeah. reading too deeply into that. I think it became debated in that situation because they were specifically talking about Chinese versus American. And that became sort of like a big separate thing on the table. I I can't say too much about it because I've obviously was born here and have had an American education my entire life. From what I know is that for whatever reason, coming to America for an X amount of years to get a degree is a thing is the thing to do because of the opportunities it will offer you in the future versus if you get if you get a degree in China and you come to America to work or you go anywhere like a- anywhere I think I think internationally if you have a degree from America it has a high standard right ah, okay. that's like if you yeah. graduated from Harvard who's not going to accept you right but if you graduated from the University of I don't know little town that you're from in your country that's not necessarily as prestigious or as grand so i I think it really is just because how america has so has so has such a big amount of prestigious schools that allow you to you know be successful in the future um so then, you know, then then but then a lot of them do come here and end up staying here and getting jobs or, you know, marrying Westerners, marrying some Amer- like an American. And, you know, then then what? You know, so I think it was just very interesting that she kind of really kind of took that. She like the mother really took that to the to the to the heart of it, you know, and kept like digging. Yeah, yeah it definitely felt like a bone of contention to be picked yeah. in that dinner scene in a way that I was like oh whoa this is a thing okay we are arguing the value of American education I'm over here thinking it's garbage but apparently it's uh, not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah um, so I think the biggest theme for me that has rattled all the way down to the depths of my soul and I, I could not wait to talk about it because let it be known I have been marinating on it ever since seeing this movie was the scene where Billy's dad and Billy's uncle are smoking. Mm. And Billy, uh, this is about three-fourths of the way through the movie, Billy is having a very hard time rationalizing, not telling Nainai, her grandmother, that she has stage four lung cancer. 
And she goes to her father and she goes to her uncle and she is basically saying, I think we need to tell her it's the right thing to do. And her uncle says something akin to that's the difference between East and West. In the West, you guys think your life is only yourself and you and you only live it for yourself. In the East, your life is part of a greater working unit. Mm-hmm. And there was so much truth and so much power in that statement. I know. That I just couldn't wait to talk about it because he's totally right. As we said earlier in the episode, we do live in an individualistic culture here in America. I mean, think about the values that we uh, praise in American culture. Values like independence and self-sufficiency and self-reliance and uniqueness and self-determination and autonomy. We praise people who are all of those things? You know, yeah. the good people, quote unquote, in our culture are the assertive, self-assured, independent people. You know, right. we have phrases like self-made man and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you right. show initiative <laughs> and you make up your own mind. Like we praise people in our culture who really do things on their own and for themselves. And that's totally in stark contrast to the collective the collectivism culture that exists in Asian in Asian countries because you are one of a bitter of a a bigger mechanism. It's not just for you. Mm-hmm. And I had never actually thought about that in those terms before. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I had yeah. actually never thought about how I function in the greater unit of my oh, family. Fascinating. And so how did that Yeah. How did, did you feel like kind of, did you feel singled out? Did you feel like, you know, kind I, of... I feel like the uncle called me out. I felt like yeah. he read me for filth, uh, quite honestly. Yeah. But it, it has left a really interesting impression on me because now I am figuring out, I guess I'm, I've been grappling with uh, the feeling of interdependence, which is the total opposite of independence. Mm. So, in collectivism mindsets and collectivism cultures, the need to depend on someone else when times get hard, the need to lean on a family member, lean on a friend or ask for help. Those are things that are praised and are and are OK in in those cultures. And in here here in America, we vilify that we vilify the need to ask for help or we look at it as a shameful thing. And I think I've been trying to come to terms with how to not feel shameful if I need to be a little more interdependent and a little Ah, less independent. I think it also has made me think of the way that I define myself Mm -hmm. because up until seeing that film, I was like, I am an analytic, independent, self-assured, strong, strong, radically self-reliant being. And after seeing the film, I was like, hmm, well... Are those things of, to be proud of? <laughs> well, that, but also coupled with the fact that all of those adjectives only serve myself. Right. None of that serves, none of that is in service to anyone else. I'm not saying I'm a loyal friend. I'm a good listener. Right. I'm a trustworthy confidant. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's yeah. so common that here in the States, we look at and define ourselves as a singular unit and we like, 
build ourselves up because we've been bought and sold on the idea that if no one, if you don't build yourself up, no one else is going to. Yeah, yeah. You're you're out of the house at 18 and you're on your own. That's it. Make something yeah. of yourself. Yeah, we'll help yeah. you as a family, but you got to do it for yourself. Right. And so right. to get a glimpse into this other world where it's a totally collective work together mindset where things like being self-sacrificing and being reliable and being generous are not only skill not that are uh qualities that are looked very highly upon and should be praised yeah yeah I, I think that's so wonderful that that movie or that moment was able to touch you so deeply because I don't I don't I don't under I don't see why anyone would question their culture you know you, you grew up in it you're in it um, and if you don't have much exposure to other cultures or have the, you know, the wonderful ability to really like self-reflect or be touched upon it, um, like you have, then, then I understand why everything was sort of kind of like be peachy keen. Right. But it's, yeah. so, I, I think it's so fascinating to analyze and study other cultures and see that, you know, that actually we are shaped so much by our culture, you know, and oh, it, yeah. it extends so far into, um, to into lives, you know, and hence this constant sort of like East West struggle that Asian Americans have to deal with, or Latino, Asian, or any kind of you know mixed culture that that we're full of in this world. Um, yeah, I think first of all, I think Chinese culture has a hierarchy. Um, mm-hmm. we have different words to call older brother and younger brother and big sister and small sister. That alone says so much. Um, yeah. Like, you know, in American, everyone is an auntie, everyone is an uncle. But in right. Chinese, you know, the oldest and the youngest have a very different um, actual words for it. Um, so that's a first. Um, I also think in China or in Asian culture... We don't have space. That's a lot. Everyone lives in a tiny, tiny space. So you a are physical space. Like yeah, there's not you, enough physical space. Okay, yeah, got it. Like physical space. So you are in each other's lives. Therefore, you kind of have to work together. You're you're forced to essentially work together because anything that you do will affect the other person because you live in a you know there's five people in a one bedroom apartment. Um, right. Also, I also think that um, we have a, a big conscious idea of, you know, that one, like I said before, like one action affects the whole group versus just, mm-hmm. you know, myself. Um, and and I also think that um, the lack of the personal space, all of that kind of goes into it along with you know, the hierarchy and the humility. Humility is huge. Like, we love to like downplay, you know, like our achievements. Um, we want to be as humble as possible. Um, we don't want to shine, you know. We don't want to boast. We don't want to like, hey, look at me. Like there, that 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 doesn't exist, you know. In American culture, it's like I won first place. Look, I got a medal, oh, yeah. mom. You know, exactly. And in America and in Chinese culture, it's like, who cares if you get first place? Because, you know, you're supposed to get first place every time and then not even really like talk about it or be proud. Like, you know, like it's just it's so bizarre. Mm. (laughs) Um, It's just I think it's a totally a different way of operating because I don't think that the latter is bad. I don't think that, you know, a kid that gets first place and like 
doesn't necessarily want to make a big hullabaloo about it is a bad thing. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I do yeah. think that when we are raising kids in a society like the United States and a kid wins, it's like, oh, my God, honey, you're the best. Let's go get ice cream. You're so <laughs> yeah. good. You're so yeah. amazing. Yeah. And I think that that sets up what can possibly be a toxic uh, standard Mm. for success in the future it's like well every time i succeed i deserve to have everyone deserves right. to know about it i deserve to be showered in praise yeah i deserve to get all the goods and all the treats and all the things and if i don't then for some reason you know it wasn't worth it and i think that i know for me i was definitely a kid that was rewarded for good work and it was the thing that kept me working hard and working smart. Right. Up until I was no longer working for rewards from my parents, up until it just became, all right, well. My, yourself. You're an adult. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, you want to work hard? Go ahead. Oh, you did it? Reward yourself. Me, myself, and I. <laughs> exactly. Is all I got till the end. Yeah. And, I mean, like, real talk, I had a great week last week and my reward to myself was eating my weight in sushi and going to see the farewell on a Friday <laughs> night where I was just like let me go treat myself so <laughs> yeah interestingly it all comes full circle but um yeah the individual versus collective mindset I think that I in past years have always sort of um been very critical of a oh, collectivist mindset because it's see. like well if it's a collectivist mindset then Somewhere in there, the individual is having to self-sacrifice an opinion, an idea, yeah. Oh a, my gosh, action. Are you kidding? For me? the that's, greater good. Yeah, that's that's a hundred percent what they go through. It's all about sacrifice and duty and responsibility and it all. I mean, that's something I struggle on a daily basis. You know, ultimately, here's what I think. Ultimately, I think ultimately because I'm a Chinese American, because I'm first generation. You know, essentially, kind of. Hopefully what we saw in The Farewell is honestly like a healthy balance of both and yeah. a healthy balance of both for what works for you and what you want out of life. Because I could not turn my back on my family. I could not turn my back on my mother. I could not turn my back on, you know, what my culture. It's like literally in my DNA. Like there's no way I can escape it, you know. And so... Mm -hmm. And, and, and if some people can and want to and are able to and are happy and fulfilled, then, like, do it. You know, go and move away and do your thing and live your life and, and do you. So it is, it, it is, it is, um, I think, ultimately a healthy balance because I think either or in a, in, a, in a too far direction, the two extremes aren't very healthy. Because if you're ultimately just living by yourself and doing your own thing, then you're not giving back. At all, really, you know, even with your right. presence or or with your with your energy, with your conversation, with your time, all of that is part of um, of, you know, essentially a collective as well. And I, I just I, I do think a healthy balance of both one not too far in a direction where you're just completely self self-sacrificing your entire life. Um, but also you're not just doing everything solely for yourself and living a very selfish, lavish lifestyle that can't be sustained um, eventually, mm -hmm. you know? So that, I mean, that's sort of what I've sort of concluded as, as also me straddle straddling and navigating these two worlds. It can be very confusing and jarring and dark at times, but like we saw in the movie as well, but you know, there's that point where she says, I'm, I want to stay here. Like I want to stay here and take care of her because she right. feels uh, guilty and responsible and 
thinks I'm sure thinks that it's an honor and wants to sacrifice and but it's like you have your whole life in New York you're just gonna drop you know so yeah 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 I mean look Lulu Wang she read All Americans for Filth in that very quick moment where she was like listen Americans y'all do things for you but here over here it's different and Mm -hmm. arguably because we work as a unit our lives might even be a little bit easier than if you choose to approach life as a single entity with no support system. Totally, yeah. I, I completely agree. That support system has it has huge beneficial properties, uh, health, emotional, physical, monetary, all of that, you know? <laughs> all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the final theme we wanted to cover is Billy's use of humor. Oh, yeah, we touched it, it a feels, little bit upon earlier, but yeah, we're coming back to it. Yeah, now. it feels very um American. Yes, Billy's use of humor feels very American when she is dealing with these cultural uh, expectations. Mm-hmm. I think it's very common in America to if, if a situation gets too tense, if it gets too uncomfortable for some people, the. Uh, knee-jerk reaction is to just make a joke, kind of cut through the energy, dissipate the energy with humor. And you see Billy doing that a lot in the movie. And it feels uniquely American when she's doing this with her Chinese family who meet this attempt at humor with stern faces and no laughter. Yeah. Like, like, it feels very... (laughs) It feels almost like the subtext of her family members is like, oh, you stupid, stupid American. Like, why are you thinking that? Or or, as Nai calls Billy a lot, stupid child. Why would you think that? Right. Um, But I I definitely... It took me out of it a couple moments because I was like, oh, shit. Like, I... We... That's a habit here, like, uh, in the States. Like, when mm. in doubt, let humor sort of help you out, if you yep. will. Yeah, um, like, mask it, right? Cover it. Get, yeah. Like, find a way to not really get down to the to the, to the problem. To the meat. The issue. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. You said it. Definitely. And uh, it was definitely a, a, a thing that's, that stuck out at me. I don't know if that's necessarily a, an East versus West Thing, yeah, that might be just as... like a human condition, but but it was more obvious in in that context for sure. Very much so. Yeah, but yeah. all those things said, I definitely feel like I walked away from this movie. A, it filled me with amazing joy. I caught Aww. an eleven p.m. Um, screening of this film. Wow, late. I yeah, I was uh, hanging on to the hope and idea that maybe if I went to a late enough showing, I would have the entire theater to myself because I'm one of those people. Ah. Um, but was wh- I was pleasantly surprised to walk into a pretty half full theater. It was a wow. multicultural theater. It was not just Asian people and me. There was lots of black people and quite a few white people. That's awesome. Lots of clusters of Asian girlfriends. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Nothing filled my heart with joy more to sit in that theater. And at certain points, there was definitely cultural things that were happening that were totally over my head. And I was yeah. okay to be in the dark. Yeah. But hearing the laughter and the giggles of these c- groups of friends and groups of girlfriends who you can tell are feeling seen yeah. and are feeling understood. Oh, my God, I'm getting all choked up. Um, filled my heart with a- an amazing amount of joy. And I yeah. think that 
films like this and films that I think we need more perspectives like this in filmmaking. I think that's what made this film so incredibly delightful to watch. Yeah. Is the idea that we've never seen anything or I've never heard or seen anything like this before. Oh, I that's so wonderful. Feeling challenged and fulfilled in a way that I don't think a film has done for me in a long time. So oh, that's uh, so good. I, what are your final thoughts? Because I'm just over here crying. <laughs> no, I mean you. You're bringing me to tears. Um, yeah, it was so nice to kind of see that Asian American experience be brought to life. And I think I, I knew the story already, obviously years ago, and I was just waiting for the movie to come out. Um, to see. Aquafina just be really grounded. I think she had a director. She had a conversation with Lu Wang, and she was straight up said to her like, "Listen, I can't cry. Like, I, I'm not. I'm not a crier. You're not going to be able to get mm. me to cry." And um, and Lulu Wang straight up said like, "Don't worry about it. Like, you're fine. Just do your thing." And I think it's so wonderful to see such a a good close relationship between the two, and um. And I mean that final scene with the like the grandma just like waving like broke my heart. Like I just I like I had like I was like just tears like streaming down my face for like at least five minutes. I'm also like such an emotional baby. But um (laughs) um, I like I can cry. I love you. (laughs) I cry probably once a day. Um so uh, yeah, it, it it was so beautiful to watch. Really well shot, very stylized. Like I love the long shots and the slow music and the classical, you know, like the music coming in and just just very just it was so refreshing um to see it and to have and that's so wonderful for for me to hear on your end that you had, you know, white people and black people and all kinds of people in the theater um, interested in our stories because that's ultimately what it is. You know, like we have to want to care about each other's stories regardless yeah, of I mean, anything. Let it be known. I think The Farewell is one of the best movies of the year. Wow, that's great. Bar none for me, I think it's going to take top billing. I think this needs to be nominated in all kinds, for all kinds of awards. But um, yeah, yeah, I think there's a general overall hunger for understanding. And I think people are bored of seeing the same old shit in movie theaters. Totally, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, let's get some interesting, new, fresh ideas. And I think that Lulu Wang totally stepped up to the challenge and crushed it. Mm Mm-hmm. You sure did, girl. (laughs) Uh, and also there's nothing more unifying than sitting in a dark theater crying opening up i have tissue on me all the time and so i like opened up a new travel size pack and passed it down to the girls next to me who was were a cluster of asian chicks that couldn't have been any older than 16 and they sort of looked at me like are you serious? And I was like, yeah, oh my God, like we're crying. Come on, take a tissue, pass it down. Like, let's all have this moment together. Uh, Yeah, it was great. It was beautiful. And uh, I could just talk about how amazing this movie is forever. (laughs) That's so good. That makes me so happy to hear all of that. Um, So we hope that... You know, you guys, it's like a much more deeper um, analyzation of the movie. Um, But as two women of color who, uh, you know, are living our lives and um, have felt like a lot of our lives here haven't been seen. um, That's, you know, grounding out with with, you know, how important and wonderful it is to be seen and heard. Um, 
And so we hope that any of you guys who are Asian have seen this and are not also will and maybe go see it um, after um, this episode or um, or or even just and if you have, that's great, too, already. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Don't think. Just go. Just purchase your <laughs> ticket. And uh, we would love to know your thoughts and your feedback. Please reach out to us on the gram at Black and Yellow Podcast. Or you can reach out to us individually. I am Alana Webster. Handle is at Renegade of Fun. I am Jacqueline Chung-Young on the gram. We're also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at the Black and Yellow Podcast. Um, so we'd love for you to rate, subscribe, download, let us know what you what you think, DM us. Um, we're always and happy. And tell a friend about the show. Let's, yeah. you know, let's, let's pass the Black and Yellow Magic along. <laughs> black and Yellow Magic. I love that. Woo! All right, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.